Well, guys, hey, again, thank you so much for, um, for everything. Thank you for a great night. Man, Caleb and the band, great job. So excited to have you guys with us leading, worship, leading us in worship tonight. Um, tonight we're starting a new series uh, called Divine Community. How many of you have grown up in church? Like you've been in church for most of your life. Like it's one of those things like you had a drug problem because your parents drug you to church. Like you know what I'm talking about? Like that was me. Like if the church doors were unlocked, we were there, right? Like my family, I was raised in church. Uh, we, were, we never missed a Sunday. Like it was just one of those things like it was a high priority for my family. And I'll be honest with you guys, it wasn't until like I got to college that I really started to dig in personally. Like we've been challenging you guys to like get into God's word and really dig in and, and learn and grow and like get into some theology, into some doctrine and truly understand the why behind what you believe. And one of the things that always messed with me was the doctrine or the, the idea of the Holy Trinity, right? How many of you guys can real quick name the, the three parts of the, of the Trinity? Real, real quick, just yell it out. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Great. You guys are all theological scholars. Well done. But here's the thing. Um, I want you to understand something. It says, um, there was a, a theologian that said this phrase, and it's, you'll see it on the screen here. It says this. Um, the Trinity. Try to explain it, and you'll lose your mind. But try to deny it, and you'll lose your soul. <laughs> Mic drop moment, right? But here's the thing. You need to understand, like, there's some heavy seriousness in this. Like, the Trinity is extremely complicated, but also extremely essential. It's one of those things. I had a professor in college that would use this phrase when we talk about complicated things in the Bible. Because a lot of times, here's the thing, if you understand theology and you get into it, um, the complicated ideas in the Bible are also simple. And I know that, like, it, it's counterintuitive to think through. But he would use this phrase, he'd say, in, in realm of, like, the Trinity, he would say, yeah, the Trinity is um, shallow enough for a baby to play in, but deep enough to drown an elephant. So get that visual. Like, it, it, it could be super shallow and super basic and core, fundamentally core uh, a belief, but also extremely, extremely complicated and extremely deep, and you can get lost in it really fast. So here's my goal tonight. I don't want to add to confusion. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit holes of all the, the like, systematic theology textbooks that you could read and go through and, like, try to unpack it. No, because that would add to the confusion. But what I do want to do is I want to try to, like, give you an idea of the power of the Trinity and the importance of the Trinity. Because it is a core fundamental value in our belief system. Here's the thing that you need to understand. The Trinity, Christians believe, here, here's a statement about it. Christians believe that one true God exists eternally as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each person is fully God. These three truths that you see here, one true God, three persons, and each person is fully God. You have to have all three of those truths to have a full understanding of the Trinity. If you eliminate one of those, all of a sudden now you're, you're dealing with some false doctrine. 
Like, if you try to say, well, there is, like, I get it, there's, a, you know, the Father, there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's three, I get that, and I agree that each person is fully God, but I believe there's more than one God. Well, guess what, then you don't believe in the Trinity. If, if you say, oh, I believe there's one true God, and I believe that they exist as three persons, but I don't think that all three are fully God. I believe, like, God the Father is the big one, and the other two are, like, the supporting cast. No, at that point, you have a false understanding of what the Trinity is. And if you do the same thing, you could eliminate, like, you believe there's one true God, you believe that each person is fully God, but you're like, yeah, three persons, is the Holy Spirit really a person? Like, you could go down that rabbit hole, and all of a sudden, at that point now, you're believing false doctrine. In our core Christian faith, all three of these must exist in our understanding of the Trinity. The moment you stray away from any of those three things, you, 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 you are introducing heresy into your life. But why do Christians believe this? Why do Christians, like, why can we hitch our wagon to those three crucial truths? First is this. The Bible declares that God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 makes it very clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's not multiple levels. One God. He is one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is one. One true God. Why else do Christians believe this? Well, the Bible calls three distinct divine persons God. You got Father, 1 Corinthians, uh, says this, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's two out of the three right there in one, one verse. <laughs> right? Um, and then in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it says this, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels uh, winds and his ministers a a flame of fire. But the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Refers to the sun and God at the same time. And then in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, it says this. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of this land? And he goes on and talks all about this and lying to God. And he, he makes the, con- the, the connection of the Holy Spirit to God. And he, the, you see all throughout scripture, there are so many different spots where, where the, the, the Holy Spirit and God, God the Father and, and the Son are mentioned together. And they're, they're connecting the dots. But in scripture, guys, we also can know that there are 60 different passages, 60 Bible passages that mention these three divine persons together. For example, one of them would be Jesus' baptism found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, it's on the screen. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God. Descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. All three. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Trinity. Try to explain it. You'll lose your mind. Try to deny it. You'll lose your soul. Core doctrine. Core faith. We have to have an understanding. We have to at least accept the idea of the Trinity. To truly believe in God is who he says he is. But here's the thing. When you try to explain it, you will lose your mind. (laughs) People have been trying to explain the Trinity using earthly terms and earthly explanations for decades. And they have come up short every time. I just want to show you a couple of the ones that circulate. And maybe you've heard these ones before. Maybe you've used these to explain it to somebody. But I will warn you that these are not complete. The first one is this. Water. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, ice, water, steam. Seems great, right? Three and one, they're the same, but they're not. They're in different stages, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. The moment you try to attach an earthly explanation to something that is spiritual and something that is out of this world, you're going to come up short. And there are shortcomings to this. Another one that's very popular is the egg. You've got your egg, your shell, your yolk, right? And, 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 and the white and the egg white, like three parts all in one making an egg, right? No. Because you're limiting God and you're limiting God the Father. You're limiting God the, the Holy Spirit and you're limiting God the Son to a specific role. Like the egg shell can't do what the yolk does and the yolk can't do what the egg white does and so, for, so on and so forth. You're limiting God by using an earthly explanation. Um, another one that you see floating around is, is often like a three-leaf clover, right? If you, if, if, if you don't have a, all three leaves on a clover, it's not a three-leaf clover anymore, right? But if all three exist together, it's a clover. Like, again, super weak explanation. You're limiting God. You're limiting the Trinity at that point. But what, probably the worst one I've ever encountered, um, and this is like from when I was in student ministry, like these things became like crazy popular, and it made me want to throw up in my mouth when people tried to use this to explain the Trinity. Go ahead and throw that next one up there. How many of you guys remember the fidget spinners? How many of you guys own a fidget spinner? Be honest. Be honest. How many of you guys still have one? You play with it all the time, like you're studying. Right? Um, I, would be, I was the guy, like, I, I would get some, and I would, like, take them apart, and then they never worked the right way again. You know what I'm talking about? I had some, like, really nice ones, like heavy ones that were, like, they spun for days. Like, you spin it. Right? But, bam, people would try to use this. And, again, comes up short, three persons, one God, terrible terrible analogy because when you use earthly objects to try to explain a heavenly being, you will come up short. There's nothing that is equivalent to the Trinity here on earth. And anytime you try to use these to explain the Holy Spirit, you're border, you're like really coming up real close to the line of heresy because you're, you're teaching some false teachings about who God is. Be careful. Some other ones that have like circulated around that aren't, aren't, they're common but not complete is this next one. Um, we, we see like people understand that God is divided up into three equal parts belonging to three members of the Trinity. Like Holy Spirit, Father, and Son. Like they're equal. And they're, but they're all together. It's like Megatron. Like they come together, right? I mean, Power Ranger fans, like they, they, they like all join their forces and become this giant like robot thing. No, that's not how God works. It's not a a three equal parts coming together to make one God. No. 
Another one looks like this, where you have, like, God in the center, and, and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are, like, additions that are added on to the, the being of God. No. It's not how it works. Another one that you see is this, is that you'll see the God and the, three, the persons of the Trinity are not just three different ways of looking at one being of God. Sometimes people will be like, well, it's God, but like, I see him as the Holy Spirit. And they're like, well, I see him as the Father, and I see him as Jesus. And, like, and like they, they like hitch their wagon to like whichever one they prefer. No. The moment you try to like minimize the, the, the power of one of the three, you're limiting God. That's a false teaching. It's a false doctrine. So I want to I throw one last up here. And this is one that is probably the most accepted among theologians. All right, go ahead and throw that next one up. But even this one, I'll say this, is not complete. But it probably gives us the best understanding of the Trinity. And I hope that this one is one that you can remember. It's this, it's very simple. God is in the middle, right? And we understand that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God. The Son is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. Again, not a perfect model. There's some shortcomings here that we could really dig into, like if you wanted to get into some really deep theological discussions. But at least this gives you a representation that will help you start to process. So if you're going to try to, like, remember one, this is the one. This is the one that I, you could take a picture of and, like, try to, like, remember and think of. And I would say most mainline theologians would subscribe to this being the closest we could possibly get to explaining it when it comes to the Trinity and the, our understanding of it. But here's the thing you need to understand about the Trinity is each person of the Trinity serves a different primary function. All right? Each person of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they each serve a different role, a different, um, I, guess, I guess the best way to put it is a primary function. So this is called the economy of the Trinity. I know this is like, you sound like you're in like a college class right now. Listen, I was like ankle deep in like, systematic theology books all week, reading all this stuff and refreshing my memory. But the economy of the Trinity is this, the different ways uh, the three persons act as they relate to the world and to each other for all eternity. So when we think about the Trinity, we need to understand that each one, each part, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they operate in different avenues. They, they hold different primary functions. For example, we've got this idea that the Father creates, the Son redeems, and the Holy Spirit sets apart. Although the Father is, pre, is preeminently the creator, the Son and the Spirit were also involved, though. That's not saying that they're, those are the only functions they're capable of. No, all three are capable of everybody's function. They share abilities. Here's where, that's where it gets a little crazy, right? But you need to understand that they have primary functions, but that doesn't discredit the ability of the other two. Does that make sense? You guys still with me? Nobody's falling asleep yet on me? All right. We understand that, that um, let's look at creation. Let's consider creation. All right, here's an example. God the Father is speaking. God the Son is implementing. God the Spirit is hovering. If you look in Genesis 1, we don't have time to really dig into it, but read through Genesis 1. All three are mentioned. Well, let's look at salvation. 
the idea of, of God's redemptive story. If you've been in church, you know that the, 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 the common thread through the Old Testament and the New Testament is redemption, right? It's restoration, it's salvation, it's forgiveness. God the Father plans, God the Son obeys, God the Spirit applies. What do I mean by God the Father plans? God the Father planned, like, the moment that the fall happened, he was like, all right, well, here's my, here's my rescue plan. I'm going to have the perfect sacrifice and give people an opportunity to seek restoration and forgiveness. God the Son obeys. Do you guys remember the, the conversation that Jesus had in the garden before his crucifixion? Right? He is so burdened with what's about to happen to him. He knows what's coming because he's all-powerful. He's God. He understands. And he's so worked up and he's so healed that he's, it says that he's like sweating blood. That's stress. That's a whole other level. Like AP exams don't hold a candle to that. All right? And Jesus, in that moment, he's praying to his father. He says, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But if not, not my will, but yours. He's obedient. Obedient to the point of death on the cross. So that. God the Father's plan can be carried out. And the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit applies what that sacrifice is, right? He, he convicts. He helps us in sanctification. He helps us move along the path of our journey. He, he, he pricks the hearts of the people that need restoration, that need that salvation. Guys, all three play pivotal roles. All three are capable of all three roles, all the roles. But certain parts play pivotal roles in the process. Consider this difference. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in their attributes. But the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are different in their relationships. Let me unpack this for a second. God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal in their attributes. We kind of already hinted towards this. All of them share the same attributes. They're all capable of the same power. They have same access to the same stuff. But they're different in their relationships. Their relationships with each other, but also their relationships with the world. Their relationships with the creation. It's important that we understand this. As we walk through this series, as we have this understanding that, that as we look at each individual role, there's really not much difference. There is no difference in their abilities. They share it. But how they act out, how they relate to us, is where we see the difference. So let's talk about Father God. God the Father, when it comes to God the Father, I'm going to be honest with you. There's not a whole lot out there. Like I encourage you to like, Grab yourself some commentaries, grab yourself some systematic theology books, and like look up. Give me some information on the doctrine of God the Father. You're not going to find much. But what you are going to find is God in general. 
Because here's the thing, in the Christian world, I would say that most of us, our understanding of God, when we think of God outside of the being of Jesus, we are thinking of God the Father. So here's what I want to give you. I want to give you just some attributes of God. I want to give you some attributes of God because these are not only applicable to God the Father, they're also applicable to Jesus and applicable to the Holy Spirit. But for today's purposes, let's look at it through the lens of God the Father. Independent, spiritual, eternal, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. There's some spiritual words up there that maybe you don't know. Well, let's walk through it. Independent. What do I mean by when I say God the Father is independent? He doesn't need you to exist. He is not dependent on anyone else but himself. Does that make sense? Like, you can't make God disappear. Doesn't matter how hard you try. God is independent. He's not dependent on you and me. He's not dependent on pastors. He's not dependent on churches. If he wants to work, he's going to work. If he wants to do things, he's going to move. We see that in creation. We see that all throughout scripture. God is independent. Now, does he welcome our help? Does he want us involved? Absolutely. But does he need it? No. He's independent. Secondly, he's spiritual. Now, what do I mean by that? It's not mean like he's got like rock salt, you know, like those like lights in his room and like burning incense every afternoon, like, and praying 800 times a day facing west. No, it's not the kind of spiritual I'm talking about. But his being is spiritual. He is, he is a spiritual being in that, that he is from the spirit realm. And I think all of us would understand that. Like, God the Father is this being that we can't see, we can't touch, we can't, like, get into his arms and, like, and, like wrestle him. It'd be cool. I can't wait to get to that point. Like, when I get to heaven, be like, ah, let's arm wrestle. Like, it's going to be fun. But, like, we can't do that now because he's a spiritual being. He lives outside of our realm. Outside of our realm of understanding, our, our realm of physical touch. God is eternal. God the Father is eternal. He was before everything and he'll exist after everything. He has no beginning, no end. He is an eternal being. He's omnipotent. Who knows what omnipotent means? Somebody yell it out. All powerful, right? Got all the power in the world. If he wants to send a lightning bolt through that, ceiling tile right over there, the third one from the left, he could do it. If he wanted to make me turn into a frog right now, he could. I don't see why he would, but he could. Right? He's got all the power in the world. He spoke the earth into existence. All right? Like, wrap your head around that for a little bit. He literally said, you know what? Let there be light. And all of a sudden it's like, whoa, what happened there? Like, the dude's got power. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's also omnipresent. Anybody want to take a stab at what that means? He's everywhere. You can't escape him. You can't get away. You can't hide. You can't, you can't dodge him. You can't go to a place and be like, ah, oh, he'll never find me here. <laughs> no, like he is like the king of hide and seek. Like he never loses because he's everywhere. He's in church, he's at your school, he's in your neighborhood, he's in your bedroom, he's everywhere. And now some of you might be like, oh, that's trouble. But for me, that's comforting. 
to know that I can never escape God's presence. It changes the way I live my life. It changes the way that I interact with people. It changes the, the things I do when I'm alone because I'm never truly alone because God's with me. He's everywhere. And then he's omniscient. Anybody on this side of the room want to take a stab? Hmm? Outside of space and time, yeah, he, he, he's got this idea of he's all-knowing, all-power. Like, he's just got this everything around him he's got a grasp of. There's nothing that's going to surprise him. There's nothing that's going to, to catch him off guard. And guys, listen, when you have a true understanding of who God is, and we could go on, there's more attributes, like we just don't have time to really unpack all of them. But here's the thing, when we, when we truly understand that, that God the Father is, is everything we know about God, wrapped up into God the Father, is also in God the Son, and also in God the Holy Spirit. And we realize that, that the Trinity is not this like vast molding together of all these ideas. No, this is just God. The Trinity is simply God. And God the Father is just a part of that. It's, it's an expression of God. And again, we could, we could try to unpack it more, but I'm just gonna, we'll just create more confusion. But here's the most important part that I need you to understand about God the Father and about God. Is this. The one who saves us completely is completely God. If there's a truth you understand about the Trinity is this, is that one, God, who saves us completely is completely God. Each and every one of us has a story. Each and every one of us has a past. Each and every one of us has sin in our lives. God and the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is completely God. Remember those three core truths, right? Because of those three core truths, and he is completely God in three persons, in one God. Because of that, and because of his redemption plan, and it being carried out by God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We have an opportunity to be completely saved. We have an opportunity to, to ask Jesus, God the Son, and his blood to forgive us of our sins. The blood that was shed on the cross was all part of God the Father's redemption plan. And because of that, we can be completely saved. Try not to overthink the Trinity. Try not to get so caught up in the weeds that you lose sight of the fact that God is God. And he is completely God. And because he is completely God, we have the ability to be completely saved. So maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've never had that moment where you felt like, you know what, God, God completely saved me. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've never asked him to, to save me and change me. Well, here's the thing. The 
because of the things that we talked about tonight, because of the understanding of the Holy Spirit, because of the understanding of Jesus, because of the understanding of God the Father, because God is completely God and completely saved us, you have an opportunity to be forgiven tonight. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to challenge us real quick as we get ready to wrap up. It's my hope and prayer that every single one of us has an understanding of God. It's my hope and prayer that every single one of us has reached that point in our lives where we've asked Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins so that we, when our eternity here, or when our life here on earth ends, our eternity is spent with him in heaven. That we are forgiven, we're part of that redemption plan. And if you're sitting in here tonight, or you're watching us online, and you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you, you've never taken part of that redemption plan, that special redemption plan that Jesus offers, that God offers us through God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I want to give you that opportunity tonight. If you need to be forgiven of your sins, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to save you, you've never asked God to forgive you of your sins, you could do so right now. There's not some magic phrase that you have to say. There's not some magic word that makes it happen. No, it's a cry of your heart. It's simply asking God to forgive you of your sins. And you surrendering that and accepting that free gift of salvation that Jesus offers. Allowing him to save you and change you so that you can follow him for the rest of your days. If that's you tonight, if that's something that you want to do, I want to give you that opportunity. In the quietness of your heart, you can say this prayer after me. You don't have to say it word for word. You can put it in your own words. It's not the, word, not the phraseology that saves you. It's the cry of your heart. Say something along these lines. Silently, he'll hear you, I promise. Say, dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner in need of saving. I'm a sinner that wants the forgiveness that you offer through the sacrifice of God the Son. That God, I want to take advantage of, of the the opportunity of redemption that God the Father has laid out. God, I want God the Holy Spirit to live with me and dwell with me wherever I go. God, I confess my sins right now. I ask you to save me and change me so that if I were to die tonight, I know that I would be in the presence of you in heaven rather than eternally separated from you in hell. Then just follow it up with a simple amen. Every eye still closed, every head still bowed. Nobody's looking around but me. If you said that prayer and you meant it the best you know how, you might not know everything, but you know that you want Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And you said that prayer and you meant it. I'm gonna ask you to do something for me. I just want you to look up at me and make eye contact with me. Anybody else? Anybody else? This side of the room?
looking at me until I make eye contact with you. Man, I see you, man. Those of you that just looked at me, listen to me very, very carefully. That is the best decision you will ever make in your entire life. The decision to follow Jesus and to be forgiven of your sins, your eternity has been forever changed. But it doesn't stop here. You see, the redemption plan involves some sanctification and some and, and following Jesus, walking with Jesus, discipleship and, and being a part of the family of God and, and connecting in and learning and growing. And that's what we're here for. As a church, we want to come alongside of you. For those of you that said that prayer and you acknowledge me, like, here's my challenge to you tonight. Before you leave, tell somebody. If you came with a friend, man, tell your friend. I guarantee they're going to be ecstatic for you. Maybe if you came by yourself, man, tell a leader. Tell myself. Tell Nick, tell one of our ladies in back that they would love to just celebrate with you. We're going to respond in a time of worship. But I want to give you guys the freedom. I want to give you the freedom to fill up this altar. Get on your knees to pray as we sing, as we respond, as we worship. And just remember who we're singing to, the God of the universe, the God of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God in one. Three persons, one God. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing. God, we love you. God, thank you for those three that acknowledged their need of you. That prayed that prayer, Lord, and I pray that it was a genuine decision, Lord, that they truly want you in their lives. Lord, I pray that they would continue to run after you. Lord, I pray for every single one of us in this room. God, that we would run after you with all that we have, Lord, that we would have a clear understanding of this core doctrine of the Trinity. Lord, not that we would get so caught up in the weeds and the confusion of trying to understand it, Lord, that we would just trust you and believe that you are who you claim you are. God, we give you this time of worship for the rest of our night, Lord. God, guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand and sing together, guys. The altar's open.